Chelsea's bid to build the squad with the most potential in world football continues. And between us recording this and you listening to it, they may well have signed a few more players. But at some stage, potential has to become something tangible, something valuable. For Mauricio Pochettino and Todd Bowley, the lavish spending spree has to work. I'm Kevin Hatchard and this is Football Only Better. Given his QPR affiliation, at least we know that Mark O'Hare won't join Chelsea anytime soon. Mark, we know that Chelsea put together an incredibly gifted squad, but there's a lot of volatility in there because of how many youngsters they've put together who don't have proven track records. They do have a tough game against West Ham. Yeah, they do. Um, I'm really looking forward to this game because I think there's a, a lot to suggest it could be very watchable. Um I think from a West Ham perspective, um, I think quite rightly the guys on the podcast uh, last week were, were were pretty negative about their potential chance away at Bournemouth, really. Um, however, kind of looking back at that game, they probably could and should have won that game if they'd taken more of their opportunities or at least kind of forced the issue a bit more after taking the lead. And I think that's been a, a constant theme for West Ham under David Moyes, especially away from home, really. Uh, they've been wretched on their road, on their travels for, for quite some time. And a big reason for that has been Moyes' approach, really, uh, his defensive sort of pragmatic in-game management, really. And that was heavily criticised after the Bournemouth match because, you know, after scoring, West Ham allowed Bournemouth back into the game uh, before sort of showing a late flurry after the equaliser. And if you look at the sort of uh, time segments, um, they invited that pressure on. Bournemouth only had four shots between the first and 51st minute. West Ham scored. Then Bournemouth had nine shots between the 52nd and the 82nd minute when they equalised. And it was only then when West Ham kind of came back out to play. So you need a bit of a different sort of approach. I think we will get that from West Ham. You know, a home game against Chelsea should stir the senses a little bit with the rivalry between the two clubs. I did look at that starting eleven not necessarily the squad, but I still think there's plenty of quality in and about that West Ham team. No standout, reliable goal scorer, but there's players there who are inventive, influential. There are set-piece threats, perhaps a little bit soft in the middle, but I think they're physical enough overall to, to cause Chelsea problems. The bet that I liked, rather than sort of taking you know either team here, because it is early season, I've still got question marks over both, was actually both teams to score at 1.84. I thought that was a very nice, attractive price. Um, you know, Chelsea were widely praised for their performance against Liverpool and rightfully so. But if Salah's goal is onside, it could have got quite quite ugly, really, because they were quite noticeably a class apart in that opening half an hour. And I guess it's a testament to Pochettino and, and his team to to react and, and to tinker with the team and improve from thereafter. And I think Ben Chilwell was extremely aggressive down the left hand side. Enzo Fernandez showed the quality that we know he's capable of, but perhaps wasn't able to kind of come to fruition last season. I think Conor Gallagher played very well, considering his place is now under huge threat from Caicedo and Alavia. Nicholas Jackson was lively for the most part as well. So Chelsea will start to look more like a team week on week. We will see improvements week on week. But for now, they're not the finished article. They're not going to be the side we see in November, December time. So I still think there are vulnerabilities about them. So I think West Ham will fancy their chances. I know last season was a... A complete mess from a Chelsea perspective, but they only managed four clean sheets on their travels. So I'm definitely not ready to trust them defensively. And I think West Ham do have that inferiority complex against bigger clubs. But um, you know, I do fancy them to take the take this game towards Chelsea and give them a, a decent match. So both team, both meetings last year saw both teams score. I think three of the last four at the London Stadium have also seen BTTS Bank as well. So 
kind of happy to have a crack at another, what I think is quite a nice price for a Premier League game between two teams who will give it a decent go. So 184 on both teams to score. Trader, tipster and swing ball enthusiast Emmett O'Keefe joins us once again. Emmett, what have you made of Chelsea spending in the Clear Lake era? Because a lot of people talk about FFP, but what they're doing is they are spending these fees, but they're amortising them over six, seven, eight-year contracts. So that makes a big difference in terms of how FFP works. But they are also selling off the family silver. They're selling off young players who they have. Obviously, Mason Mount went. That was quite controversial. There's going to come a point where they're not going to have much left to sell. And there are going to be young players who'll be complaining because they're simply not playing. So are they kind of stacking up problems for themselves down the track? Yeah, that's a really hard question to answer. I think that I was reading... I really, I, it's like I was reading an Athletic article, kind of explaining that that the kind of the Bowley plan in inverted commas is to kind of was was to kind of basically rid themselves of all the players all, all, on kind of high wages and kind of move and move towards this model where they're on all all, all they have all these young players at the kind of right ages who, who all have resale value and as you said on the longer contracts and they can that 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 they can amortize but just looking from what I understand, like they're, if you look at the kind of losses that they would have made last season, if they make a similar losses this season, that that wouldn't necessarily be sustainable against FFP from everything, everything I've seen. So I don't know how the financial situation is, is going to work. I don't know whether this is sustainable on the face with their net spend seems absolutely crazy. And like to be, and, and just there's, yeah, it's like, yeah, like to, it, it seems as well. Like, and I, I could be totally wrong here, but there was an element of like, kind of U.S. kind of bro business guy one upmanship with the whole Caicedo Lavia <laughs> thing, whereas like yeah. something at a succession where it was like they weren't even looking at Lavia at all. But then because Liverpool were kind of trying to gaz, trying to gazump them, they wanted to get both of them. So like, do, do they really need Lavia and Caicedo? Like, I'm not sure. Is it obviously they could do with them? But I, I'm just kind of I, I'd. There's 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 something about the scatter gun nature of it that 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 would kind of scare me. Having said that, I absolutely love Caicedo as a player. I think he's one of the coming men in world football. If you gave me if you if you gave me a choice between Declan Rice and Caicedo this summer, I'd pick Caicedo. I think the Caicedo has the has the ceiling to be one of the best best players in his position in the world. I think there's his upside is kind of uh, an Angolo Kante with better passing ability, which is a pretty high upside. Um, and then I think, I think as well the Michael Elise who they're going to get. I'm really high on Elise. Like a, a player who can put up eleven Brilliant assists, player. eleven yeah. assists in a kind of a bad, bad, bad Palace team last year, largely until Hodgson came in. So I think that I, I think if you're, if you're making a bet on a young player, I think he's probably a pretty good bet to make. Um, so like. It does show you though, like the kind of like these preseason prediction podcasts are hard in that we were kind of talking about how Chelsea had a hole in midfield and they've uh, they've Lavia and, and, and Caicedo. So I'm like, well, I'm not sure about the kind of the long term sustainability of it for this season with no European football and Pochettino there. Chelsea are definitely a dangerous proposition, especially if they can get kind of Unkunku back fit in a kind of a reasonable time. That I think that the, and their forward line should have greater potency. Like Mark, I'd be hesitant to kind of trust Chelsea at kind of at relatively short prices. And just the the angle I like was as Mark mentioned, we saw kind of a very different Ben Chilwell last week. As he was kind of saying, he's basically playing as a winger in possession and kind of a wing back out of possession. And he, he can kind of, do that. 
that. He's always had that ability to go forward. Yeah, exactly. Listeners might remember under the, uh, the under the Thomas Tuckle kind of regime, where James and Chilwell are basically their two best kind of attacking players, and the forwards are going to we're kind of struggling for production. So yeah, we've seen Chilwell be that kind of player before. And I'm kind of just eager to get on him in the kind of positive markets before the markets kind of fully catch up. So you can get Chilwell to have a shot on target at over two to one. It looks looks fair to me. Or if you look at score or assist, you can get that over three to one. So yeah, look look for a kind of a pro Chilwell selection here. I always like the idea that Emmett's kind of having an argument with himself, making these uh, selections before changing the market himself. Uh, we've been talking about big numbers in the transfer market. Our resident XG scientist. Jake Olskathorpe is used to working with big numbers. Jake, West Ham have lost Declan Rice. They might lose Lucas Pakitar. What shape are they actually in? Because they won the Europa Conference League last season. That is an enormous success, you have to say, because their fans will remember that forever. In the league, though, it was pretty grim for most of the season. So where are they at? Um, they're in that group of teams that have the potential to be relegated, unfortunately. Um I think the business that they've done to try and plug the Declan Rice-shaped hole in midfield is okay. I think it's very standard West Ham in the sense of like they've not gone and tried to get a really big name, like a really good, promising young up-and-comer. Uh, they've kind of gone for tried and trusted, um, which is their kind of model. It's very much David Moyes, isn't it, in the sense that he wants he, know, he wants someone to come in that he knows is going to do a job straight away. Um uh, yeah, uninspiring is what I'd say about the business. And, and I still think that they're, they're lacking at the top end of the pitch in terms of goal scoring. Um, you know, they're, they're, they're relying on Danny Ings and, and Mikel Antonio, who are, you know, both the wrong side of 30. And, and I, I don't know, I, I, I like the sign of Skamaka last season. Um, I just think it was a bad style fit in terms of, you know, Moyes perhaps not adapting the way in which the transfer people were expecting to. Um that's but the yeah. problem, right? There, there seems to be a voice within West Ham that has these ideas about more progressive signings, guys like Skamaka, and then you have David Moyes, whose position is pretty strong considering he's just delivered the European trophy, and he has his way of working, and that is to always go back to the Mikel Antonio comfort blanket, sign guys like James Ward-Prowse, who I like very much, and I think Set piece wise is perfect for West Ham in terms of what they want to do. Try and sign Scott McTominay, try and sign Harry Maguire. That this is the David Moyes way, isn't it? It is, yeah. Um, and I guess two ways of looking at it, isn't there? There's there's the David Moyes is hindering their progression as a football club, or there's the David Moyes is keeping them afloat and rescued them and has won a trophy playing his style of football. So it is, yeah, I think they're a rock and a hard place, really. They either go all in on David Moyes or they go all in on, you know, moving on from Moyes and trying to progress and bringing in the, the kind of sexy players that that would see West Ham, you know, challenging for Europe, which is what they were doing a few years back. Because I think that the gap between them um, and, the you know, the big six, the likes of Brighton, the likes of Villa, the likes of Newcastle now is just astronomical because they've gone about the business in a completely different way those clubs are set for the future in terms of, you know, they're playing a brand of football that is much more conducive to winning on a more consistent basis. Whereas West Ham's way of playing is very much, you know, that they are very reliant on a bit of luck in every single game because it's, it's small margins. They win by one nil, they win by two, one, it's a set piece here or there. And if those things go against you, like they did last season, then they end up in a relegation battle. And while ever they're in that cycle, it's just going to be the same every single season. It's going to be, Oh, we might, you know, 
positive variance this season, we finished eighth. That's great. Bit of negative variance. Oh, right. We're battling against relegation again. So, isn't this um, the vortex that Palace are in as well? Because very much they so, do exactly yeah. the same thing. Brought in Vieira. It was all very, you know, roses and rainbows. Aren't we playing great football? Blah, blah, blah. And then when it started going wrong, he panicked personally and started flooding the midfield and started trying to make them tough to beat. Then they booted him and brought in Roy Hodgson, who I like very, very much. But they had this weird thing towards the end of last season when they suddenly were like 1970s Brazil. But that was never going to last. And now they've lost Zahar and they're going to lose Elise. So there are a few clubs like that, aren't there, that are kind of, they want to progress and be like Brighton and Brentford and all those. But do they really? Yeah, well, it's a risk-reward at the end of the day. I mean, Brighton take risks. You know, they buy players in the transfer market that no one's heard of because they see something in them that they can fit into their system. Like West Ham and Crystal Palace don't really go and do that. Crystal Palace is slightly different. They have a you know an academy set up where you do get quite a few players that come through. Um, and they also they, they dip into the EFL a little bit more than potentially West Ham do. Um, but yeah, I, <laughs> 1970s Brazil. I mean, Roy Hodgson got the easiest 10 games you've ever seen at the back end of last season. Like, I think oh, yeah, but they were great. Eze was like Zico. It was unbelievable. I, I, I'm, I'm not taking anything away from that. But yeah, it just makes you think, doesn't it? Like, you know, you've got a progressive coach in Vieira trying to take them in a different direction and, and play a bit more of an expansive style, a, a bigger name to maybe attract those younger players that, that could have pick them onto that next level. Um, and, you know, you bin him off and, you know, literally you bin him off at the time where the fixture schedule was just going to get so much easier for him. And he was, they were going to stay up ultimately. Um, but yeah, those are the two clubs basically that are, uh, are very much kind of, they're, yeah, they're, they're just stuck in the mud, if you like. Like they, they, they don't want to take the risk of you know, going too over the top and, you know, trying to, trying to aspire too high and then falling down a little bit like Leicester because Leicester were one of those teams as well that were knocking around that top end for a while, obviously got in the Champions League, got in the Europa League, and then it kind of went stale and it just fell to pieces. Um, so yeah, th- those two teams are definitely ones to keep an, uh, an eye on. Just see how things are progressing because either of those teams could get sucked into relegation battle, um, especially with lack of business. But going back to the match, I am taking a completely distant, different stance to Emmett and Mark and I'm happy to back Chelsea to win at even money. Um, I, I I was really impressed by Chelsea. I thought it'd take about eight games for them to kind of get into Pochettino's style, his system. But I just think the players, as I said it on the preview podcast, the players that he has at his disposal, the perf- purpose-built, purpose-bought for him and his style of football and how he wants to play. Um, I think I was saying to one of the lads in the office, it's a perfect mixture between, which you'd very rarely see actually, between a Potter and a Tuchel style because he wants to have control of possession like Potter, but he's as direct as Tuchel when they are in possession, whereas Potter was a little bit laborious, it was a bit more passing round, whereas, it, yeah, it's, it's a kind of a perfect blend, which means that the players that they have there from those two managers that they signed kind of fit into his system pretty well. So um, I think I'm expecting good things from Chelsea. I'm not saying they're going to win the league, finish in the top four, but I think they're going to be causing a few um, eyebrows to be raised. And obviously the business they've, 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 they've done in bringing Kayseri, you'd expect him to start the weekend. And before you know it, I mean, the spine of that team all of a sudden looks pretty good. I mean, I like the look of Jackson last week. I thought he was a handful, but playing playing up there by himself and he caused some all, all, all kind of issues for Liverpool's back line. And, and I was kind of expecting a bigger market move in Chelsea's favour off the back of that performance, um, which is probably the main reason why I'm taking Chelsea to win. And the even money, I, I kind of expect them to maybe be around the 1.9 mark 
just because of the, the the manner in which they played against a Liverpool team that were third favourites to the title, six to one to win the title, which is extremely short. Um, so yeah, I, I think that this is a good opportunity for Chelsea to get a win under the belt. And, and again, it's for us, the viewers, for us that are trying to make um, predictions and, and get, a, get a handle on teams. It's really good to see how Chelsea kind of deal with this different setup against a team they're going to sit back and defend them. We saw Liverpool went toe-to-toe with them and they they had quite a lot of joy. How will they deal with a team that's, saying a low block? Um, I'm fascinated to see, but I think they've got enough quality, especially in that midfield, to unlock that defence. Well, it's worth bearing in mind, Betfair's offering a completely free ACA or Bet Builder every weekend in August, but you have to opt in to claim it. Maximum free Bet £5 per customer. T's and C's apply. Let's take it out to France because, Mark, you want to take a look at Lens, who were incredible last season in Liga, uh, and they're taking on a very good Ren team. Could be quite good fun, this. Yeah, Sunday night is the, the main game in Liga this weekend. Uh, fully expecting it to be a, a really watchable affair again. So over two and a half goals is my selection here at 1.8. Uh, both teams to score is trading at about 1.6. Um, so to sort of boost the price to 1.8, just to exclude the the 1-1, basically, uh, you know, it really does start, kind of stand out, really. We've only got one week to go on, but uh, Lons surprisingly lost 3-2 at Brest or, uh, in their opening game. They were 2-0 up in that game in complete control, uh, conceded the penalty on half-time and then just uh, completely lost their way in the second half, received the red card, conceded another late penalty as well to lose the game. It was a, a game of two halves, really, but they controlled and dominated the first 45, but looked incredibly shaky and worrisome at the back in the second half. So they're outshot 15-8 by Brest. So um, the bulk of that damage done in that second half. But they lost key players for Fana and Appender in the summer. Uh, but back at home, their home record last season was astonishingly good. I think it was 17 wins from 19. Um, and I think in, head, in their head coach, Frank Hayes, uh, there's still a guy there who you would trust to, to get a tune out of this squad. Uh, they'll be very front foot. Um, they'll look to try and right those wrongs, make a statement. And I think they'll be strong operators against a Ren side who had real problems on the road last season. Uh, they did start the campaign with a 5-1 demolition of Mets, who had just been promoted. Uh, they generated well over four expected goals in that game, 29 shots, 23 of which came from inside the penalty area, 14 on target, and, and Doku, Guiri and Callum Wendo were all on the score sheet, a very exciting trio going forward for Ren. Um, they'll hope to feature in the, the top three shake-up this season. I think they've got uh, a great opportunity to to bust back into that sort of Champions League qualification places. But um, yeah, they're a team that just don't try to, to shut up shop, really. They'll they'll always try and fight fire with fire. And you can see that in their away days last year, 74% went BTTS uh, and over two and a half goals here is 1.8. So that to me looks like a real treat. Uh, Bren will play front foot football. They will try to entertain and try to outscore Lons. Um, but uh, if you look at their away record again, as I say, four clean sheets on their travels last season, three of which came against the bottom five. Eight of their nine trips to the top halves or BTTS, uh, and six of Lons is nine against the top half at home. When overs, uh, six also saw BTTS, and they only actually kept two clean sheets in that sample as well. So it should be good fun. I think 1.8 is a very attractive price for over two and a half. Emmett, you've got a French pick as well, Monaco against the Strasbourg side that uh, could end up with all of Chelsea's castoffs over the next few years, depending on how things go. 
Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's kind of a um, clash of maybe managerial philosophies here with uh, Adi Hutter at Monaco, who's known for these kind of crazy helter skelter kind of uh, high scoring football versus Patrick Vieira, who's kind of, as, as, as we saw in managing, there's a lot more defensive. I was just looking at some of Adi Hutter's kind of historical stats, like that his Eintracht team is last season there in kind of 20. 20- 2020-21 their matches averaged 3.6 goals per game in 21-22 his, when he managed Gladbach they averaged 3.4 goals a game So, and we kind of saw last week when he um, in Monaco's first match there was like 6 goals in, in a 4-2 win and 5.5 expected goals so I just think like that's what we're going to get from Hunter all season and I think if we as as betters we're going to try and maybe get on the over over goals total early in, in, in kind of Monaco matches but before the market kind of catches catches up I think that'd be positive Strasbourg themselves uh, Strasbourg themselves gave up 23 shots to Leon. I think it, in, 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 a, in a kind of in a 2-1 match I think a high scoring game is just unbelievably likely here and if in the bet builder at the moment if you, you can get both teams to score on over two and a half goals at 187 that looks more than fair to me In sport what's just as important as the goals the glory the roar of the crowd Yes it's the half time break Time for a breather a reset to keep everything on track. In sports betting, Betfair's safer gambling tools help you do that too. Like timeouts, so you take that all-important half-time break. Or deposit limits, to help you keep count. Manage your play at safergambling.betfair.com. Simple ways to stay on top of your game with Betfair. 18 plus Aston Villa was smashed 5-1 at Newcastle last week. They lost Tyrone Mings to a serious knee injury. They've had really bad luck with centre-backs in the last year or so. They face Everton. Jake, that gives them a great chance to bounce back because Everton, um, even though they missed a lot of chances against Fulham, still don't look in great great position right now. No, no, I think it's a great spot for Villa to potentially bounce back. It was a really strange game, that one, uh, against Newcastle. Um, you know, I was quite high on Newcastle going into the campaign. I wasn't expecting them to go and win 5-1, obviously. I think that was a, a bit of a, um, I don't know, it, it was it was a very much more even game, I thought, than, than the scoreline suggested up to about 60 minutes. And then for whatever reason, Villa just decided to play inside Newcastle's half and just let Newcastle run through one-on-one whenever they wanted. Um, it was weird. I mean, Mings had gone off by then. He had, yeah. So Pal- there was obviously a bit on, of... Yeah, and he's only just arrived, and I think there are some questions about how he'll do in the Premier League. So, yeah, but it was, yeah, I agree with you. It was a strange game, but Newcastle looked mega ruthless in that game. They were they were absolutely ruthless, and that, I think that's something that we won't see from Everton because they don't have that streak in them. Um, you know, they, they I, I was looking at the game. They've signed a couple of players. Well, Arnold Danjuma could be one that you could think might threaten that high line. Um, same with Damari Gray, but then you look in the midfield and it's just, have they got anyone that can play that kind of pass at the right time is yeah. what Newcastle have. I mean, Newcastle effectively have five of them on the pitch, maybe six at any one time, maybe more. Um, and Everton just don't have any that spring to mind. And maybe Dwight McNeil has got the, you know, the, the capability to play that kind of cultured pass through. But um, yeah, I've got huge question marks about Everton's ability to score. Um, I think Villa at home under Emery were... A completely different animal to, to when traveling last season. They won nine of 13 um, at Villa Park. It became a bit of a fortress and they kind of made um, light work of, of their home matches against teams around the relegations zone last season. And I fully expect them to do the same again. So um, we can back Villa minus three quarters on the exchange at 1.95. So if Villa win, we get a half win. If Villa win by two or more, we get a, a full win. Um, I think this is a, a 
you know, potentially one of those games where people might have overreacted to the opening day 5-1 uh, and we might get a little bit more value in this line than potentially we should do. So, yeah, happy to get on side with Villa to bounce back. And Mark, delightfully, you can wrap us up with a Scandinavian double. Yeah, so I alluded to it on, on Saturday's show with, with my treble selection. Uh, Viking to beat Starbeck in Norway uh, is one leg and Hacken to beat Sirius in Sweden is the second leg. Uh, back both home teams to win and we'll get around even money on the double, which really does appeal. Both have extraordinary, extraordinarily good home records. They're playing bottom half opposition and also in very good form too. Uh, Viking level on points at the top of the table now after a nine-game winning streak, which includes beating Bodo Glimt, uh, who are top on goal difference at home. They've won seven of nine. They scored three goals and more in six of those nine games and they're averaging two non-penalty expected goals per game at home as well. So very strong. Starbeck, six defeats in eight on the road, two points from the last nine matches across all venues going back to May and they failed to score in five of six. They've also lost six of seven against the top six this season. And in Sweden, Hacken are just one point off the top. Uh, they're involved in a really exciting three-way title race. Their home form has been the basis for that challenge though. Nine wins from 10 on home soil. Seven of nine wins coming into this clash across all venues. They've scored twice or more in eight of those nine games. At home, they've scored twice or more in nine of ten, and they've scored three goals or more in eight of ten, averaging 2.1 non-penalty expected goals per game at home. Uh, Sirius have lost five of seven lately. They've lost seven of nine winless games against top seven teams. Look up against it this weekend. So Hacken and Viking in a double pays even money. Wonderful way to finish. That's all we have time for on this edition of Football Only Better. Please do remember to gamble responsibly. Loads of good preview content on our website, betting.betfair.com, including previews of the Women's World Cup final between England and Spain, which takes place on Sunday morning. From Emmett, from Jake, from Mark and from me, it's goodbye for now.